You're listening to the Beginning of Wisdom podcast with Andrew Schumacher. Beginning of Wisdom seeks to engage in theology and apologetics in the sight of God. You can learn more at beginningwisdom.org. Welcome to the Beginning of Wisdom Live. I'm Andrew Schumacher. Excited to be here. It's been a little while, uh, but I'm back. Uh, A lot of things going on these days, and I'm not going to talk about any of that. Um, (laughs) We're going to talk about something else, something a lot more, uh, you know, just somewhat lighthearted, to be honest. I mean, it's it's never lighthearted when you're dealing with error and the word of God and all that, but, um, but definitely, uh, not on the level of what's, what's been going on in the world. And, and, uh, so I'm glad to, to just spend some time getting into the scriptures and talking to you guys about some stuff. So, uh, as you can tell uh, by the title, we are going to be responding to, um, Zach Bauer's response to Todd Friel uh, when Todd Friel did a, a short snippet of, a, of an episode on in talking about the Hebrew Roots movement. And, uh, you know, um, I appreciate what he's, he's doing because he's going to be, you know, looking, he's looking at the, uh, you know, playing the comments Todd Friel makes and, and responding. Um, I, I know he is not done with this series yet. Uh, right now, as I'm uh, making this show, there are four videos on his channel about it. But, um, you know, I, I don't know if there will be more. I, I certainly hope so. Uh, based on what we have seen so far, what I've watched Todd Friel's video, um, there's some stuff Zach hasn't covered. Some of the more, really, I think the more um, deep theological issues and, and arguments uh, he hasn't really touched those. He's just kind of talking about some different comments, um, you know. But I think uh, it, it's interesting. Um, you know, I, I appreciate that. My my favorite thing is going to be, and and it's already happened in in the comments of, of this show. Um, but uh, you know, when I get, you know, I'll get some of, of Zach's fans and and people that like him who criticize me for criticizing Zach while Zach criticizes Todd. Um, it's just a big, beautiful pile of irony, uh, that'll be completely lost on them. But, um, I, uh, but yeah, I do want to get into it. Um, I caught this video from Todd when it did come out. Um, and one thing I wanted to comment on, I may comment a little bit on, on things that Todd Friel says, but, um, we'll mostly focus on, on Zach's responses. But, uh, you know, the thing I know about Todd Friel, I've, I've watched a lot of his stuff. He's, he's really more of a like theology and culture guy than, than a false religion guy. Um, he's, he's, you know, not that you can't talk about those things, but it's not really his expertise. And, and, and really his video is the only time I know of that he's responded to the Hebrew roots movement. It's part of the reason why I do what I do because many of the, sort of bigger names out there 
they'll they'll touch on this subject, but not for not real. They won't really go very deeper or do anything really extended on it. And so um, I just see that as a a gap uh, that needs to be filled. So, um, but I don't want to spend too much time introducing things. Um, I do want to get into the first video uh, by uh, by Zach. I anticipate we're gonna make it through the first two of his videos. They're pretty short videos. I hope to get through the first two of them in this in this episode. So let me go ahead and bring it up here real quick. Um, and we will get to the right spot and uh, got this time stamped here and we'll play the first clip. So um, first thing, just to set this up a little bit, because again, save time, uh, Todd reads an email and he asks, why is the Hebrew Roots movement growing and why is it dangerous? <laughs> and this is, is Zach's answer. Reading it. And I realized at some point a light switch went on when I realized that the word of God in here is not what they were preaching up at that pulpit. And so people are coming to. So simple answer. He, he says, you know, why is it growing? Well, he realized that the word of God is is in the Bible is not, you know, what's being preached in the pulpit. What he what he's showing here, this this Bible, um, he says at the beginning, this is a. A Ray Comfort King James Bible, you know, so he, he kind of tells us what it is. It's not one of the special Hebrew roots translations. Um, he, he mostly does a quote from the King James when he is talking. And, and you know what? This first part, I don't really have a lot to argue with. <laughs> Obviously, I come to different conclusions than Zach does. But I agree. There's a lot of things that are taught from the pulpit that aren't in the Bible. There are a lot of things that are ignored from the Bible um, by churches today, um, by many, many churches, the majority of them. Um, but yet that doesn't, that doesn't mean that his position is true. And that doesn't, it, I think it does explain some things, but um, you know, one of the one of my favorite quotes that I, I heard a while back and then heard again recently and forgot about it was from Walter Martin. And um, he's talking about cults. And, and I don't think necessarily that every Hebrew roots person is in a cult or, or that every Hebrew roots group is a cult or anything. But um, Walter Martin, when he uses that term, he, he, there's kind of two different definitions that might both be in effect, but it might just be one or the other. And the one he's talking about in this quote, he says, cults are the unpaid bills of the church. And what he means is the false teaching um, that comes out by, by, by various groups. Um, when that happens, it's because the, the church has not been paying that bill, so to speak, has not been teaching the scriptures in that area very well. And so someone can come along and, and contradict it and people don't have a ready understanding of that issue enough to, to defend it. So that's uh, one of the things that, that I think, and I, I think the Hebrew roots movement isn't exists because the church has, you know, honestly, because a lot of what 
people in the Hebrews movement say, which is that the church really hasn't done a good job teaching on the law and what it really is uh, and that kind of stuff, which is why when I'm done with this, I'll, you know, plan on going back and, and continue to do my series on the, uh, on the law and, and the Christian uh, relationship to it. But uh, let's go ahead and, and not spend too much time. We'll go to the next clip here. So the next clip, I'm, I'm not going to play Todd just again for time, but Todd mentions that there's not really a central statement of faith or cohesion. There's lots of different branches of the Hebrew roots movement and not just one, you know, one solid, you know, group or statement of faith. And this is what, uh, what Zach has to say about that. Yeah, that's right. There's no statement of faith. You don't need one. This is all you need. It, Proverbs 4.2, For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my Torah, forsake ye not my law. That's all the doctrine you need. I don't need a statement of faith. That's why these groups don't have, a lot of them, don't have a statement of faith is because you don't need one. When you realize, like many of us have, have realized, that the way, the truth, and the life was the Father's word made flesh, what more doctrine do I need? So um, we'll get into what he's saying there with word made flesh. I'm, I'm, I'm again, only not only giving you parts of it because of what I'm, I'm responding to here. But I want to talk about what he says there about, you know, the, the scripture he cited. You know, I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake or forsake ye not my Torah. Um, well, he's he's putting Torah is the, the, the Greek term or sorry, the Hebrew term in that verse. Um, for sure, but uh, let's. There's no, you know, regular English. His, his King James doesn't say Torah there. But let's go ahead and actually look at that in context. He quotes this verse a lot, um, and you, you would think that he, you know, that's that's God telling people not to, you know, ignore the Torah. Um, in fact, he, he does explicitly say at the end of this first video that that's, that's God speaking. That's the Father. Um, but let's go ahead and take a look at that verse in context. So that's Proverbs 4.2. Uh, let's go ahead and read the first four verses of Proverbs chapter 4. It says, Children, listen to the instruction of a father, and be attentive in order to know insight. For I've given you good instruction. Do not forsake my teaching. There's the verse. When I was a son to my father, tender and alone before my mother, he taught me and said to me, may your heart hold fast to my words, guard my commandments and live. So who's speaking here? Well, this is, this is actually David. This is Solomon's father saying, don't forsake my teaching. And he uses the word Torah. Um, but and 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 it said down there in verse verse four, it says, "Guard my commandments, mitzvot." You know that. You know that's another common term that that is uh, is referenced. But is is he talking about the law of God here? Is that what he's saying? Um, and is that who's speaking again? It's it's not. This isn't God speaking. This is a father imparting wisdom to his son and saying, don't forsake my teaching as in belonging to this human father. I mean, this is Proverbs after all. Um, 
because and you know and and it's clear you know when i was a son to my father tender and alone before my mother this isn't god speaking now that's not to say this isn't good and and everything and this is you know we should ignore it or anything like that um far from it but i i bring it up to show that you know zach is frequently consistently misciting this verse when when he's saying well that's all you need well but that's not God talking about the law, that's a father talking about his own, the wisdom he's learned, passing it on to, to his son, really from his own father, you know, so, so Jesse, you know, he's talking about when Jesse gave me, David, this wisdom, you know, it's, it's good and I'm giving it to you. Um, and, and this should be especially interesting. We'll, we'll get into this verse a little later, but in light of, of John seven, where, Jesus says, you know, my doctrine is not my own, but the father who from the father who sent me. Um, Jesus, when supposedly, according to the Hebrews people, they cite that verse all the time. Um, supposedly, he's talking about the law and that he's not changing anything. And we'll, we'll get into that text a little later on. But I just point out here that here, this father is saying this is. This human father is saying, my Torah, don't forsake my Torah, my instructions to you as my son. If that's the law, the Torah, it looks like this, it looks like David could claim that as his own. And Jesus didn't even claim that as his own. If we're taking the Hebrew, all the Hebrew roots arguments as being consistent. And, that, and that, again, that's, they're not. And that's, that's the problem. But you know, honestly, I don't think Zach knows, even knows that this isn't God speaking in this verse. Um, the The fact that he he pretty much never cites anything in context tells me he he that's not how he's looking at the text. So um, I, that's what I would guess. I, I think it's just unintentional, just just sloppy. Um, and and the fact is that he he really peppers a lot of his videos with citations like this. He'll he'll throw them out real fast. Um, and that's that's very common. Uh, now he also he he's contradicting himself. We'll get into this also in more detail. But when he says all we need is the Bible, we don't need men. You know, if you really believe that, he wouldn't make videos or speak at conferences because um, they don't need him. They don't need men. Um, uh, he wouldn't. All, he also wouldn't read any English translations because you don't need men. So you don't need to have it translated by men for you. Um, Again, it's it's just really, really shallow thinking. All right, so let's go ahead and go to the next one here. Um, let's see. Oh, this is comes up right next to it. So uh, this is where he's going to talk, go into more on that word made flesh thing that he was talking about before. The Torah is called, in the Old Testament, the way, it's called the truth, and it's called the life. The Torah is the way, the truth, and the life. It's God's word, God's Torah, that he calls perfect, Psalms 19.7, made flesh. Made flesh. The perfect Torah made flesh. The way, the truth. Okay, <laughs> so let's... He, he he threw some verses up there. So that's what I'm really interested in as far as 
discussing his comments here, uh, I do want to talk about the scriptures. So um, it's it's true. I, the, the first two verses he cited came out of Psalm 119, which is all about the scriptures, the law. It says a lot of things about him, including, you know, calling it the way, the truth. I, I you know, that's there's no argument there uh, that those verses exist, you know, where in one place. I mean, it's it, a lot of things are said about the law in, in Psalm 119. Uh, but then he says uh, he, he doesn't cite Psalm 119 for the life. Uh, and that's he instead cites again from Proverbs. So let's let's go there. Let's look it up in context um, and see what it says. So that was Proverbs 13, um, starting in verse 13. And it says, um, he who despises a word will bring destruction on himself, but he who respects a commandment will be rewarded. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life in order to avoid the snares of death. Good sense grants favor, but the way of the faithless is coarse. Um, so here we have... Uh, again, this is where life is used, you know, so, you know, just, okay, let's find all the verses where life is used and maybe, maybe we can make it fit. And, you know, it says teaching here, uh, this word teaching, this is Torah. Uh, the Torah of the wise is a fountain of life. But, but again, this, this use of the word Torah, like in Proverbs four, it's a generic use. It's just for instruction. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life. So it's not saying it's the life or it's not the Torah is the life. It's, you know, when wise people teach, that is a fountain of life in order to avoid the snares of death. You know, it's it's the exact same principle as you have in, in the commandment, honor your father and mother so that you will live long in the land. Like the, that there's this promise of long life for honoring your father and your mother. It's the exact same principle. Um, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life in order to avoid the snares of death. It's not talking about the life, um, but you know, that's the best he can do. I mean, cause of course he's trying to make that connection to Jesus. Inst interestingly, he, does, he hasn't mentioned Jesus at all in, in any of this, um, this section. And, uh, but again, it, it's just, it, it's not, it, it's a stretch. He, he, He's trying to make something fit that, that the text really isn't trying to say. Um, and then the, the other part of it, you heard there at the end, he says, it's the way, the truth, and the life. It's the word made flesh. The whole time, Zach has just been talking about the Torah. He is not talking about Jesus. He hasn't mentioned Jesus. You can go back. I've, I've put the video in the, in the, you know, in the description of this, this show, um, you can go watch it, the whole thing. It's not that he never mentions Jesus in the in the video, but and or even that he, you know he does say Jesus is the Word made flesh. Um, but again, this is this is the Word, the Word, the Word made flesh is a reference to Christ in the incarnation. Word made flesh is, happens one time in the whole Bible. Um, it's it's not all over the place, it, and certainly the Torah is never described that way. Never, not once. Um, but, you know, like Zach said, you know, read your Bible. I, I saw my Bible, you know, I just read my Bible and this is where I came up with this is that, that it's, 
it's the Torah, the Torah's the way, the truth, and the life, the word made flesh. Where'd you read that? Because I certainly never read that. Um, yeah, it's it's uh it's really I, I'm not sure where he's he's coming up with that. All right, let's go to the next clip here. Uh, this is a little further in. It kind of goes off on that same thing for a while without really talking about it much. Okay, so he he replays the part a part where Todd Friel talks about there's no leader, um, you know, there's no again it's it's kind of in not cohesive um and this is what he says about that he says no leader i have a leader my leader is the king his name is yeshua jesus because yeshua means salvation it says you will name him yeshua salvation for he shall save his people from their sins salvation yeshua that's his name. It means salvation. He is my leader. He is my leader. I don't need any other leader. I don't need Tyndale. I don't need Calvin. I don't need John Wesley. I don't need uh, Jerome or Martin Luther or, or uh, uh, Ellen White or Cle Clement. Uh, I don't need any of these people. They're all frauds. They're all going to lead me somewhere else that this doesn't go. So they're all frauds. Um, okay, so there are a couple things in there I want to, two issues I want to just point out. Um, first of all, many, many religions and sects claim Jesus as their leader. I mean, that's, that's nothing unique. I mean, you know, and even, you know, you've got Roman Catholics, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, New Agers, Muslims, Gnostics, Eastern Orthodox, Evangelicals. I mean, you're, you're not claiming anything special by saying, well, gee, we don't need another leader because Jesus is our leader. And you, you mentioned a bunch of famous people, theologians mostly, um, from the past, and you say they're all frauds. Really? Um, the thing is, and, and I mentioned this in passing, but you also mentioned Tyndale and Jerome. So the, that King James Bible that he, he keeps holding up um, and, and seems so proud of, you know, I know this Bible. Well, that wouldn't exist without those two men. It wouldn't. It would not. That would not exist in, in its current form without Jerome and Tyndale. Um, Jerome, because he was the one who translated the Greek into the Latin Vulgate. He, he's the one that at the time in Rome, where they mostly spoke Latin, again, brought the, translated the Bible into the, the tongue of what most people spoke at the time. Um, and that influences a lot of what we have in our modern Bibles. A lot of sort of religious terminology we have, we actually trace back to the Vulgate. Words like Lucifer and, and things like that. Um, if you go back to the original Hebrew or the original Greek in a lot of terms, a lot of times you don't find some of these special terms that we've come up with and are like, where does that come from? Well, it's coming from the fact that the Vulgate is had had a huge, you know, influence on, you know, on vocabulary. Also the King James Bible, 
um, when Erasmus was creating or, you know, compiling and, and, and putting together what we call the Textus Receptus or the, the basic, the Greek upon which the, the King James is based, um, and he was putting that Greek manuscript together, he didn't, there was a section of Revelation toward the end of it. I'm not sure exactly which section. I have to look it up again. But there was a section of Revelation he did not have any Greek manuscripts for. And so to make his Greek text complete, he back-translated from the Latin Vulgate into Greek and then released that, and that is the Greek that the, the King James is based on. So the King James has certain readings and, and things in, in parts of the book of Revelation that, that never existed in any Greek manuscript before Erasmus um, because they, they were not part of any of those original Greek texts. Now we have a lot of older Greek texts, so we know, you know what happened. Um, but so Jerome, you know, a lot of what he did is, is responsible. And then Tyndale, I mean, when you're reading the King James, you're basically reading Tyndale. <laughs> um, he, he had a translation he created before the King James and he was an English, you know, just a master of the English language and a, a translator. He translated, um, I don't know if he did the whole Bible or, or parts of it, but when the King James translators were translating, they, they very, very often, if you put them side by side, they're very, very often just saying, you know, Tyndale got it best. We'll, we'll just go with Tyndale. And so, but, but Tyndale's a fraud, according to, to Zach. Um, he's a fraud, but the, the Bible that, that has his fingerprints all over it is, is uh, you know, it, it came from this fraud, but somehow he, he still trusts that. Um, again, there's there's not really any consistency here, here, but but that's just what it is. And the other thing I want to do uh, is just make a quick citation um, correction. Matthew one twenty one does not say Yeshua. Um, uh, if you think so, uh, I would like you to just please produce a text of Matthew older than the fourteenth century that says Yeshua in it. Um, the original what. Matthew wrote in Greek says Iesus in Greek, where, where we get, you know, English is translated into Greek or English translates from the Greek, transliterates it to Jesus. And, and, you know, I don't have a problem if you want to say Yeshua, if you just want to translate from the original Greek into Hebrew and say, well, you know, I want to call him by his Hebrew name. Well, knock yourself out. That's great. But, you know, that's not the name that's in, in uh, any, any text older than the 14th century. Uh, of, of the book of Matthew. So just wanted to make that quick point. All right, let's go ahead and keep moving on here to the next section. And we're going to go ahead this part. We will listen to a little bit of Todd and, and keep going. And to go back and practice Jewish things from the Old Testament Okay, we're over here at blueletterbible.org. We're going to type in the word Jewish. Jewish. Enter. Huh. Look at that. In Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Torah, the word Jewish doesn't exist. It occurs zero times in zero verses. So I'm confused about these things that we're doing that are considered Jewish. Maybe. Okay. So. <laughs> so. Really, um, if 
I, I this this argument flabbergasts me. I mean, to think that that he's so shallow in in his thinking that he thinks that you can take an a a term that was coined long long after um to refer back to certain things of of the old testament and expect to find it in the old testament if you don't that somehow makes a point i mean it, it is very hard to take to take this seriously to take this kind of argumentation seriously um you know, and I, I mean, I can do that too. I mean, let's talk about Yeshua. You know, that doesn't appear from Genesis to Deuteronomy either. Um, neither does the word temple. That's a pretty important word for, for a lot of he, Hebrew roots theology is based on, you know, there's going to be a temple and, and things. That, well, but it's not in the Torah. The word temple is not in the Torah. You know, neither is the word millennium in the Torah. And and their theology, a lot of it's based on things that are supposedly going to happen during the millennium, uh, quote unquote. So, you know, now you would probably say, oh, well, we those terms, we, we they come from elsewhere in the Bible. Right. So does the word Jewish appear elsewhere in the Bible? How is this relevant? How is this even a, a, an argument? Um, you know, the the fact that Todd used the, the term Jewish, what's he referring to? He's referring to Old Testament practices. He's using the term Jewish the way Paul did. Um, but, but, you know, Zach has a problem with that. Um, just, I mean, just deal with substance. That, you know, I, that's all, that's all I would say to that. So, all right, let's move on. Uh, the next, we're going to the next video. And this is, uh, let's see, jump to good spot here past the intro stuff. First minute in here. And I want to take this opportunity. It's probably already been said in the chat, but um, if you're there, if you're, hang with us in the chat. Uh, we will do a Q and a at the end. Um, so by all means be, be, uh, I'd love to hear any questions that you have. Uh, be, feel free to put those in there and, um, we'll try to answer them. So put big question, the word in all caps at the beginning question. That way we'll know it's for us and not just for somebody else in the chat. All right, let's go ahead and play this one here for you. Ooh, this one. All right. Is our next clip. And this is a movement throughout the years that I've seen grow in popularity and I have never met. No, maybe there's one out there, but I've never met one person in the Hebrew roots movement that didn't have theology that was outside of orthodoxy. That was wonky. Okay. I'm just being funny. Seriously though. Orthodoxy can mean anything to anyone. It, that can be interpreted anyway. So your version of orthodoxy may be completely different than this other guy's version of orthodoxy. Um, and so that's one of the reasons we have so many denominations because they believe truly that this, is, this should be orthodox. This should be, what is the definition of orthodox? Of a person or their views, especially religious or political ones, or other beliefs or practices conforming 
to what is generally or traditionally accepted as right or true, established and approved. Okay, so um, here's the thing. So Todd is speaking off the cuff here. He's saying, you know, maybe somebody exists. I've never met someone who didn't fall outside of orthodoxy. Now, I've, I know enough about Todd Friel to know basically what he means when he says orthodoxy. Um, he's not talking about every, every difference between every person or denomination theologically. Um, he's talking about the, the big stuff. You know, he's, he's likely talking about things like the Trinity, um, salvation by grace through faith, you know, that the Bible is the word of God, things like that. Um, he's, he's, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of, I know that because I've listened to a lot of Todd Friel. So I, I have an idea of where he's coming from. So he would say a lot of denominations, you know, Lutheran, Anglican, you know, Presbyterian, Baptist, you know, that obviously not every person necessarily, but, but if they, if they hold to some of those major things then they they'd be considered Orthodox. Um, whereas, you know, things like groups like Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses and, and such would not because some of those major areas are are different are different for them so again i know that now i don't know how much zach's listened to todd friel but he's he's basically going to the dictionary and imposing that definition on top of todd and again i mean i can do the same thing i can i can talk about the hebrew roots movement and how you know there's different groups you know some say that gentiles are part of the lost tribes of Israel, while others reject that and say, no, they're, they're Gentiles are just non-Israelites. You know, some say that you have to use sacred names to be to really be a true believer, and if you don't, then you're you're probably not really saved or, or whatever. Sometimes they they often like to change all the terminology, so they might not even use the word saved. You know, uh, some of them talk about you know they've got you know a lot of them use the standard Hebrew calendar that. If you were just Google a Hebrew calendar and see what day it is on that calendar that, that the Jews use, they say, yeah, it's good. And then a lot of them don't. Uh, and those that don't, you know, there's dozens and dozens of other different calendars out there. And I've definitely read and heard some that say, well, no, if you're not using this calendar, then you're not celebrating the feasts on the right day. So you're not, you know, observing Torah. And, and so you're lost because of your calendar, because you don't use the, their approved calendar. Um, and, and I, I could, could add example after example. The, the fact is that you should just let a person define their own terms about what they mean and, and answer them on that basis. You know, that's what I always try to do, you know, try to understand someone by what they mean to say, not just, oh, I'm going to grab that word and insist that you mean something else that that's easy to, you know, easy to refute or something, uh, you know. But the thing is, you know, Todd doesn't really give any examples of what he in this in this quote here of what he considers wonky. So there's really not a lot uh, we can we can say about what Todd said there. Um, but, uh, you know, well, it's it, it comes down to the Bible. And that's why I'm, I'm trying to focus on the use of scripture. 
So let's go ahead and jump ahead to the next section here and keep listening. And then you have a Messiah who says in John chapter 7, verse 16, my doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. He's not coming on the scene here teaching something completely new and different. He says, my doctrine is not mine, but his. Okay. So I told you we'd get to this. Um, so this is a very, very, very common verse. Almost any presentation you almost that, that I've seen of, of here's why we believe, you know, the Hebrew roots or why we believe we should be keeping the Torah and, and all of that. Here's why, um, because and there's, there'll be give lots of reasons, but this is almost always in there and it's always the same interpretation. Jesus said, my doctrine is not my own. Therefore, you know, he, he didn't come to change anything. So again, this is, this is pretty basic stuff, but where in the verse or any of the surrounding verses, does Jesus say anything at all about whether his teaching is new or old? Jesus tells us the source where it's coming from, but not about whether it's new or old. Um, and really, if, if the, if the interpretation is I did not bring any doctrine, you know, that's new and it's all old. Well, okay. Um, let's go to the Torah and see where it says that a man must hate father and mother to follow Jesus or that Jesus is the bread of life or that he's the vine and we're the branches or that we are to be perfect as the, as our father in heaven is perfect. Um, or, or how about the new commandment? You're to love one another as Christ loved us. Where, where are these specific teachings in the Torah? You know, maybe I missed them. Um, now, it's not that they're, these teachings are somehow inconsistent. Of course, they're not inconsistent with the Torah. But they reflect a, a new reality. And that's just the, the fact of the matter. So, um, again, it, it's, it's a misuse of this verse. Again, it doesn't say anything about whether Jesus' teaching is, is new or old. And, and we'll probably, we're, we're going to cover a little bit of that stuff as well later. Toward the end he, of this video, this second video, he, he throws out a bunch of you know, rapid-fire stuff again. And uh, we'll, we'll cover it when we get there. All right. Um, and then here, this next section, I don't even have to fast forward. Uh, we're just going to hear something again that, that he already said in the other video, but it's worth listening to again. And we have Proverbs 4.2 again that says, For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my Torah. He calls his doctrine good, and it's the Torah. And then he calls it perfect in Psalms 19.7. And then he calls it truth in Psalms 119.142. Again, basic reading comprehension here, Skills. You know, here, Todd. You put it all Basic reading comprehension, Zach. God isn't speaking in Proverbs 4.2. I mean, it's pretty basic. God didn't say that. It's not about the Torah. It's about the wisdom of a father to a son. It's about Torah in the general sense. It's about instruction, but it's not about the law. Uh, it just isn't. 
All right, uh, let's go to the next section here. And uh, this is a, also a pretty common one. This is perfect. This tells me what sin is. And, sin, and Paul says, I had not known sin, but by the law, because once you know what sin is, you can turn from it. So Romans 7, 7, Paul says, I, I would not know sin except for the law. And, and now that I know what sin is, you know, you, I can turn from it. Now, half of that come is, is a part of a verse and half of that isn't there in the text. But is that what, what Paul's talking about? Let's read. Let's go to the text. This is, you know, my favorite thing to do. Let's just read it in context, shall we? Romans 7, starting there with verse 7, that he just cited. It says, What then shall we say? Is the law sin? May it never be. But I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness if the law had not said, Do not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin is dead. And I was alive once apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. And this commandment, which was to lead to life, was found with respect to me to lead to death. For sin, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. You know, Paul's point here is not to say, once we know what sin is, we can turn from it. He's actually saying just the opposite. Once we know what sin is because of the law, we have a whole new, we have whole new arenas to be tempted in um, that we weren't before. And, and that's, again, all the more reason we need the gospel. That's what this whole point of Romans is. So it's... It's interesting, you know, you read that and you read what, what Zach says about it, and then you read what the Bible actually says, and you realize, yeah, this doesn't add up. It sounds something similar to something I heard a little earlier tonight. I don't, I don't know. But um, yeah, let's go ahead and jump to the next one here. All right. And, okay, let's go ahead clip and these movements they're typically littered with these teachers who mangle the bible like a nobody's business yeah we're completely mangling the bible when it says these are my feast not jewish feast in scripture it says to keep these feasts forever throughout all your generations in the text forever throughout all your generations it says to keep the sabbath on the seventh day yet you keep it on the first day and then you have people or the father he says clearly in the scripture don't eat pork but then we have people who are, have no problem who go to church and then after church go to lunch and have no problem sitting down with a ham sandwich. Because this is what the Bible says. And he says, I change not the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, a whole bunch of stuff all there at once. Uh, but yeah, let's go ahead and look at these. Again, we're... we're it's... 
you know, there, there's exceptions to every rule, of course, um, when it comes to human behavior. But, you know, one of the common telltale signs that, that I've noticed that tells you you're dealing with a false teacher is the presence of rapid fire sloganeering. Um, if you've listened to me for a while, I mean, you've seen it with, with people that I've responded to Gary, uh, Simons, I think, uh, I can't remember his last name off the top of my head, right? Uh, or no, Stevens, Gary Stevens does it. Um, geez, I don't know. It's been a while since I did. I think it's Simons. Anyway, he, he does it. 119 Ministries does it. Zach Bauer does it. Um, and, and frankly, lots of Lots of false teachers do this, you know, throw, throw out a whole bunch of stuff really fast. You can't really deal with it all at once. Um, but that's, that's why I'm here. That's why we're going to, going to do what we're doing. Um, and, uh, it, it's really just when, it, what you see when you actually look at it closer is it's just shallow slogans. It's, it's nothing, there's nothing beneath the surface. Um, and it is really ironic as we're about to see as we go through these, that Zach, you know, you're you're trying to prove to us you don't mangle scripture by just haphazardly throwing scripture against a wall. Like, yeah, it, when Todd Friel said they mangle scripture, he he wasn't saying they don't use scripture. You know, you can you can cite scripture, but ha- are you doing it faithfully? Uh, and that's that's the 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 issue. So let's talk about that. He, he, he brought up four things in that clip. Feasts. Yes, they are God. They are God's feasts. The fact that it says that in Leviticus does not even attempt. And you're, when you cite that, you're not even attempting to deal with all the scriptures that speak to how a believer in Jesus should understand his relationship to those feasts. There, there are scriptures about that, um, you know, and, and if you had a good argument there, like, like something with substance, you know, maybe you would have made that argument uh, instead of just citing a, a verse that, you know, no one disputes that. No one's, you know, they're, they're God's feasts, not Jewish feasts. Oh, okay. W- would you say they're God's feasts, not Hebrew feasts? Would you say that? They're not Hebrew feasts because they're God's feasts. Because I've heard you say that you're a Hebrew. Um, so, so do you think your feasts are Hebrew? Or are they not Hebrew? Because they're gods. I mean, it's it's just it's just silliness. Uh, number two, forever um, says they're forever. It says it four times in in Leviticus twenty three. Yeah, yeah. You, it uses a Hebrew word olam, and sometimes that gets tr- that translated forever. Um, it can also just mean lasting or for a very long time um but if we but since you're only citing the the english word as if that should just seal the deal for us um let's look at the hebrew word uh this is the hebrew roots movement after all and and just ask a couple quick questions i mean i could i've done an entire episode of this show really talking about maybe a half episode on this argument and and so i'm not going to belabor it too much here but i am gonna but i'll ask just about a couple verses um i would ask you know were the priests sons of aaron were they supposed to break camp for israel in the wilderness forever like it says in numbers 10 8 were they supposed to do 
the breaking of the camp forever. Like they should still be doing it now. Were they never going to go to the promised land? Was none of that other stuff supposed to happen? They were supposed to break camp in the wilderness forever? Because that's the word. It's right there in the text, Zach. It's right there. Um, what about the the man, you know, if uh, a slave earned his freedom, this is how it worked, you know, that you know, slavery in, in uh, the Old Testament was not permanent unless the slave made it permanent. And, and this is what it, it talks about. It says if... If a slave wants to remain a slave and not ha have his freedom because um, he loves the family, he's with all that kind of stuff, then he, he's supposed to have his, his ear pierced against the door and uh, that um, by doing that, he would now stay with that family forever. Same Greek or same English or sorry, same Hebrew word, olam, forever, according to Deuteronomy 15 verses 16 and 17. Uh, so, are you saying that somehow this, because this one, this slave, this is about a certain, certain individual, they get, they do this. That means that this imparts immortality or something. They're, they're all alive today. Who did that? Because forever means forever, right? No, I mean, context, context. So, um, you, you don't, you have not proved your point when you just cite the English word as if the word itself is enough. If, if you know, and you do know, that there are different ways that word is understood, then um, you have to do a little more work than that. But, you know, that's a lot to expect. Uh, number three, don't eat pork. Um, doesn't cite a verse for it, but, you know, we all know it's in there. Uh, no argument there. But, you know, Jesus also declared all foods clean in Mark seven nineteen, And it does say that. I did an episode on that as well. It really does say that. And that's not any kind of translator's edition. Uh, it's in the original Greek of every single text of that book. Every single one. There are no textual variants for Mark 7, 19. It says it every single time. Um, nobody added that. That's what Jesus said. And, and Paul also talked about that all things are clean in Romans 14, 20. And he's talking about food. So, you know, I, again, I could go into the context and, and if we had more time and and actually make those cases and prove those. But, you know, since, you know, Zach seems to think citing a verse out of context is okay, but he doesn't realize that if that's okay for him, then that's okay for me. And then now what do you do? You're going to spend all, you're going to dive into the deep context of the verses I'm citing, but not the ones you're citing. See, I like, I like to do it with both. And I'm citing these right now without a whole lot of context, but also telling you, I've already talked about these in detail in previous episodes. So it's, it's not like I haven't done that. Um, but you know, it's a lot to ask. Uh, and then number four, uh, this is one of my favorite Zach Bauer arguments. Um, I change not, I haven't really heard many other, uh, folks in the Hebrew roots movement try to use this one, but uh, it may be because they read it. Um, so he says, I change not. He noticed he didn't put that verse on the screen and I don't know why. Um, Maybe because the context isn't quite what he wants it to be, or or maybe he, he doesn't care. I don't know. But uh, let's let's look that up. The, if you, I change not is is it's how it's rendered in the King James. It's Malachi uh, three, uh, I believe Malachi three six. Yeah. So let's go ahead and read that in context. I'm going to start in verse five. 
and we'll see what how that that is used is it used to say you know that the because i change not therefore any of the commandments i give you now also will never change can never change because i change not is that is that what malachi 3 6 is teaching well let's go ahead and, and read it um starting verse 5 here it says uh then I will approach you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, and against the oppressors of the hired worker with his wages, the widow and the orphan, the abusers of the alien, and yet do not fear me, says Yahweh of hosts. For I, Yahweh, have not changed, that's I change not, and you, O children of Jacob, have not perished. From the days of your ancestors, you have turned aside from my rules and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says Yahweh of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a human dare to rob God? Yet you are robbing me. And you say, how have we robbed you? In the tithes and the contributions. So God says, I have not changed or I change not. Um, you know, this is, uh, or I do not change. You know, there's different ways of translating it but the question is what's he talking about he says i have not changed or i do not change and you are not you have not perished or you do not perish you know the king james says i change not um therefore ye sons of jacob are not consumed so god is not talking about He's not even talking about whether or not his commands change or don't change. He's talking about the fact that they, they've they sinned and deserve judgment, but God will not consume them even though they deserve it because he doesn't change. Well, what's he referring to? He's referring to his promises. He's referring back to really his promise to Abraham. If he consumed Israel for these sins, they wouldn't be there anymore. And then that would make it kind of hard for him to keep his promise to Abraham, wouldn't it? Um but he doesn't change, and so his promises are sure. That's what the text is about. Um, it's just it just doesn't even speak on the question of of of, the, of any commands changing. It, it's not about whether they change or not. But do they change? Well, yeah, I've I've done content on that as well. Um, not willy nilly, not all the time, but uh, but they do. Um, I did a. a a video quite a while ago on um, the issue of, of of food and and in how in Genesis before the fall you have God says you can eat you know fruits and vegetables basically that's what God gives He says I give you these things for food and then after the flood He says I give you you know every you know creeping thing all the all the animals for food and it is all the animals. Um, and then he says during, you know, at the time he makes a covenant with Israel at Sinai, he then restricts that um, to, to what he calls, you know, the clean animals. And basically the animals that are fit for sacrifice are what, you know, what they're allowed to eat. And then he goes on, you know, in the, in the New Testament to change that again, as, as we've already discussed. Um, so yeah, things his commandment does change. And this makes sense. I mean, this is an analogy, but it just, I, I want to point out like, oh my gosh, if, if God made a change, it, it must mean 
that he changed. Well, I mean, the other example that, that I often point to is the promised land. You know, God commanded Israel to take the promised land. They sinned and defied God and did not go in because they were scared. Then God judges them and says, you'll wander the desert for 40 years. And then some men try to go into the promised land and they are defeated. And because, and, and Moses tells them, because God told you, he changed what he wanted them to do. They, they were to go in when they disobeyed. Then God said, now you're not to go in. But then 40 years later, he, ch he changed it back. And now they went in and they were to go in. So how can that be if God doesn't change? Well, first of all, just because it, you can, you can think because the two things don't necessarily have to be identical. I mean, that's good enough. But if, if you want an analogy, um, you know, a father is not going to have the same rules for his three-year-old as his 16-year-old. So maybe some of the same rules, but mostly no. You know, I mean, a lot of things will be different that, you know, the three-year-old, you know, he might say, you don't play, you play in the backyard, not the front yard, because there's a road and I don't want you wandering in the road and is that a rule for a 16 year old? No. Is that because the father changed? He, he now, he just, you know, throws away all those rules that he made for, for the, the three-year-old. Cause he's some, he's capricious or something. No, it's because he, he recognizes he now has a 16 year old and, and, and different. It needs to be a different kind of relationship as, as kids grow. So it, the rule giver doesn't have to change in order for the rules to change is, is all I'm trying to say. Uh, and we, and again, the scripture makes it plain that sometimes the rules do change. Um, not all the time, not willy nilly. We certainly don't get to decide what they are. Um, scripture does scripture decides how they change. All right. Uh, let's go to the next clip here and we are getting down to not a whole lot left here. All right, here we are. And okay, next clip. Broadly speaking, followers of the Hebrew Roots Movement believe that all believers in Christ are obligated to follow Jewish laws and practices from the books of Moses. That, uh, that's a problem right there. But see, there's no problem when you go to the Ten Commandments and it says, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not lie, you shall not commit adultery. However, in Deuteronomy 4.2, when it says, you shall not add or take away from these words I'm giving you today, from these commandments I'm giving you today, you shall not, you shall not, you shall not lie, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. All right, I was just repeating himself. So um, this is really where someone who takes these issues seriously would want to, would be really better, be better to interact with than, than Zach. I mean, he's, I, I'm doing this because he's a popular teacher. He's, you know, a lot of people listen to him, um, but he's really not the best at this. <laughs> um, the fact is Christians throughout history have taken the law seriously. Um, they just don't take out stuff they don't like and leave stuff in that they do like. Um, now, certainly some do this, but, you know, don't 
you, you can't pretend everyone who disagrees with the Hebrew Roots Movement is doing that. Um, you know, I, I start, like I said, I started a series going through the law. It's, it's not going to be shallow. It's going to be very deep into all sorts of stuff, um, in the law and how the Christian relates to it. Um, I think this is an area that the church has, has neglected in, in understanding our relationship to the law. Um, and so it needs to be talked about. I think a lot of the church has the right conclusions, but they just don't have they just don't understand why. Um, and that happens a lot. And then when someone comes along and asks why, they don't have a good answer. And that's that's why that's how false doctrines grow. Uh, but let's go ahead and jump to the next one here real quick. Not a lot of time left, but there's a couple I really want to get to. To keep the feast. Let's read the verse. Acts chapter 20, verse 16. For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hasted, means he hurried, if it were possible for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. So well, let me get this straight. He's trying to get back to Jerusalem for the day of Shavuot, as spelled out in Leviticus 23, one of God's feasts that he says you should keep forever throughout all your generations. Okay. It's, it's interesting, you know, the words he adds in there, you know, as laid out in Leviticus. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, the whole nation was set up doing these feasts according to the, uh, the <laughs> Leviticus. But, um, but the thing is, it's the text in Acts doesn't say, I want to go back to get there in time for the feast because I want to be obedient and, and, and keep the feast. You know, the fact is he, he doesn't say that that's his motivation. Um, if you, you should read about it, you know, he told you to go read Leviticus 23, go read Leviticus 23. It's a feast. It was commanded for everyone to go to Jerusalem every year to keep this feast. Um, but if in acts, this comes on the tail of Paul spending three years in Ephesus, not going back for the feast. Zach didn't mention that. So he spent three years being disobedient. Is that is that what he's saying that that Paul shouldn't have done that? He, sh you know, I, that'd be an interesting question to ask. And also, why you know Paul's talking to the leaders of Ephesus. He's he's called them to Miletus, and he's telling them this. He's trying. I'm like, I want to get back in time for the feast. I want to be there. But he doesn't, he doesn't exactly say why he wants to be there. I think, I mean, if we we continue to read, I, I believe that's where he ultimately is arrested. It's, there's a lot of people there. I mean, if you want to spread the gospel, you the best times to go to Jerusalem are when lots of people have gone there for the feast. But, um, that's a good, that's a good, uh, uh motivator. But, but think about it. Jesus, or sorry, Paul, he says, I want to get there, but why doesn't he tell all those leaders in Ephesus? Why, you know, you need to go too. He, he doesn't, he doesn't expect them to go. They're not going. He doesn't criticize them for not going. Again, he, he's in, inserting Paul's motivation, and he's also just ignoring all these other facts about the passage um, in, order to make, in order to make that point. All right, one last little clip, and we will go to our questions. So again, if you have any questions, stick them in the chat. My wife, Nikki, is in there. Uh, she's letting me know about those. So, um, all right, one last section here. 
is still keeping the feast. And Paul in Romans 11 says, you're grafted in to the wild olive, the olive tree of Israel. The wild is grafted into the cultivated. The olive tree, you're grafted in. Meaning that Israel, if you're part of Israel, you keep these things that are forever throughout all your generations. Yeah, it doesn't say that. Um, I again, I, I've done a, I did a whole deep dive. If you if you go back on the channel, there's a section where I did the gospel and Hebrew roots deep dive into Romans, and I went through the whole book of Romans. I spent a lot of time in uh, Romans 11. Romans 11 is the one and only text that talks about being grafted in. Um, it never ever talks about Gentiles because they're grafted in or anyone being grafted into to Israel that because of that, they're going to keep the feasts or, or do any of the stuff in the law of Moses. Um, it's actually all about faith that you have the, you know, you have the cultivated olive tree. That's the nation of Israel. And you have the, the wild olive tree that's Gentiles and says that God grafted you or, you know, cut you from that tree and is grafting you into the, the cultivated tree, but he also broke off branches because they didn't believe. So there's people who are members of the nation of Israel, you know, members of the line of Abraham who were cut off from the true people of God, that, that living tree. And then Gentiles are grafted in. It's, it's a metaphor for the people, but, and, and the true people as in the elect, you know, God's elect people who are both Jew cultivated olive tree and Gentile wild olive tree. Um, there's nothing in that text at all. Not one place where scripture says that because you're grafted in now you, you're supposed to do all the stuff in, in the old Testament, just the way that, that they did it. Um, that's, that's not taught in there again, basic reading comprehension, read your Bible, like all these things that, <laughs> that Zach is saying, um, it's just the, the substance isn't there. The substance is not there. So that's as far as I've got. That's, that is the end of his second video. Like I said, there are four total up right now. Um, I expect there shall be more. I, I do hope so. Because again, I, I've watched all four videos. He has not dealt with the, the more meaty parts of, of what Todd had to say. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully he will. Uh, if, if he concludes without doing so, you can bet that, that we will point that out. So with that, I am going to go ahead and jump into the chat here and into some questions. So um, let me go ahead and pull some things up because I believe. All right. Okay. Yeah. looks like we got some questions. So. Um, first question, Dustin Neely. Good to see you again, man. It's been a while. Um, where is the Torah verse that tells me how to cast out demons, heal the sick, open the eyes of the blind, cleanse lepers, raise the dead? Right. Yeah. There's, there's some other examples. There's some, uh, you know, things that happen there in the new Testament. Um, and these are things that not just Jesus does, uh, that the apostles do and, and, and people, um, that they laid hands on and things like that. Yeah. I mean, where does the, he, he tell me about the, your doctrine of casting out demons. 
and tell me where that's found in the Torah. <laughs> uh, very good point. Very good point. Um, Bible History Science has a question. Good to see you again. Um, it says, uh, I think Hebrew roots teachers are primed for the tribulation temple trap. Do you think they will be able to resist it? Um, well, I'm not. I think I may know what you mean by tribulation temple trap. I'm not sure your theology of it. Um, my eschatology, uh, I, I believe that the the there's no not going to be a future physical building in in Israel temple, not a true one, and and not one that that matters at all as far as uh, prophecy. My my eschatology. Um, I, I see that all of the New Testament references to temple outside of apocalyptic literature, which is all very highly symbolic, um, are using that to speak of the church. I think there is a third temple. It is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the church. Um, so I, I don't think there's a necessarily a prophesied temple trap, if, if that's where you're, what you're getting at. Uh, we may differ on our, our eschatology there, but um, I do think that if were that, I, I do know that there are Jews in 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 Israel who are trying working on trying to rebuild the temple and 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 do all of that. And from non-Hebrew roots folks that I've talked to about that. Um, who who don't share my eschatology, who do who do think that there's going to be this temple, is that it's going to be, you know, built and and it's not going to be a a holy righteous thing of God where where yay we're supposed to go and and sacrifice in the temple now. But whereas a lot of Hebrew roots folks do believe that yeah there's going to in the millennium there's going to be a new temple and we're going to go back to sacrificing and and I'm like okay. Um, yeah, so I think that if a temp, I'm not saying a temple won't be built, uh, it might, and I think if it is, they will go back to sacrificing at it, um, if they if they think that they can. It's going to be interesting. I think it's going to be another area which you'll get different perspectives because it's not being built by believers in Jesus of, of any stripe. It's not being built by Hebrew roots people. It's not you know it's being built or, or attempted. I mean they haven't. I've seen some videos where they've got like an altar and stuff, but as far as a like an actual building, they haven't done anything with that. But I know they're working on, it. they're trying, they're trying to do it, and but they're not believers in Jesus, so um, there's going to be. I think there's going to be a a split within the Hebrew roots movement if if a temple is built about whether or not they should sacrifice at it. All right, uh, Dustin Neely asks um hebrews movement says there are some laws we can't follow no priesthood no temple right um so we can't do the sacrifices but where's the comprehensive list of laws i have to follow yeah good question um and and they would i think they would just say you know whatever you can follow according to what it says there but then they don't actually follow that when it comes to the feasts because every single feast involves sacrifices in the Torah. Every single one. Um, there's some that you have to actually go to. Well, really, it depends on how you look at it. But um, once the tabernacle is established, so the first, it, it's interesting. The f and, and Zach's 
got an interesting view on this because, for example, the Passover, the first Passover, they slaughter a lamb in their own house, right? And put the blood on the doorpost. They're, they're in Egypt. They slaughter a lamb in their own house. But then when you go on to read it in Leviticus, it doesn't. they don't slaughter a lamb in their tents. They come to the place God has has set his name, the, the, the tabernacle, the central place. That's where they're supposed to do it. And um, you, that's not something anyone can do now. So they're saying, well, we can keep the feast, but we can do it without doing sacrifices. Well, that's kind of like saying you can, you know, you can sacrifice, but without a priest. I mean, where exactly is that line? Um, and, and again, it's, it's, yeah, I don't think there's a consistent answer to that. Um, Alex Black asked question, why don't you debate Zach? Zach's never asked, um, is one reason. Um, I don't, uh, and, and I, uh, you, one thing I will say about uh, debates, debates are, they take a heck of a lot more uh, uh, preparation than a show like this. I mean, preparing a show like this is, is pretty simple. You know, I mean, you got to do some studying. It does take time. It's, it's not none. But in a debate, you really have to study a lot of things. And, and so I have to be really careful, even if someone does challenge me to a debate themselves, if they say, hey, I, I want to debate you, I still have to weigh everything with, with my other responsibilities to say, can, you know, do I have the time in my schedule to take on a debate right now? Uh, it's, it's not a, a small decision. Um, cause you kind of have to prepare not only your presentation, but also, you know, if there's going to be cross-examination, which there should be, um, <laughs> in any debate, um, you have to kind of prepare for the things that they might say. And, and that requires actually, to me, it, it's, it's like 10 times as much um, material. You're not going to go through it all in the debate. You just have it ready. Um, and uh, it's, it's uh, and, and they can still ask them, well, I, I don't know. I haven't looked into that, so I'll have to look into that. And, and that's okay if that happens, but, you know, kind of don't want it to happen. So, um, so that's it. Short answer is he's never asked. And uh, I don't, uh, I don't debate, take debate challenges from third parties. Lots of people have asked me why I don't debate Zach, and that's that's why. One of the reasons. Um, uh, Alex now asks, why don't you ask Zach? I know he will. Uh, is is looking for someone. Why not do it this hour? He is free. <laughs> well, you you must know him better than I do if you know he's free. Um, and and I basically answered that question. Um, I I I have. A, I actually do have several other debates I've already agreed to and I'm working on getting scheduled and, and to do on, on, on different topics. So um, since he hasn't asked me and, and I haven't asked him, um, you know, that's, that's not at the top of my list. But um, I, I'd certainly be open to it. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying I wouldn't, but... Uh, Thing about debates, you gotta you gotta be patient. You can't just say, "Hey, go go talk to him." I've, I've watched enough of Zach's stuff to to know that um, that this video. I, I mean, it's not that he can't do a little better than he's doing in these videos, but um, but it's it's but not yeah. He doesn't do it's not much. So I I I'd be really interested. He you know, and it's not that he doesn't know about me either. 
Um, I did a, a video a while back that he responded to on a live stream and, and I was, I responded back. I, I did do, uh, you know, answer some of the arguments he made in that, in that, uh, show, but, but yeah, he, he has responded to me and he didn't in that response, he didn't challenge me to any kind of debate. So you might ask him why he doesn't debate me. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it just, that's just what it comes down to. So, um, yeah, so I think that is all I see as far as questions. That was a good show. Um, I appreciate you guys being here. It's good to be back. Um, I think on the podcast, this will start season two. Season one was really long. <laughs> went about a year and a half. Um, but uh, yeah, this will be this will be a good um, good place to start. Next week, I will I. Based on what we did now, I, I think I can get through the other two videos that are currently up um, and and go over that in, in some good detail. And if by then he has released anything else on this Todd Friel series, I'll try to get to it if I can. Um, I, we just we do what we can do. But it's it's really been a pleasure. Thank you guys for being here and um, look forward to see you next week. It's going to be great. Thank you for listening to the Beginning of Wisdom podcast. You can follow Andrew Schumacher and the ministry at beginningwisdom.org, where you can find links to the YouTube channel and follow on social media. Sign up for email alerts to never miss new content. Please like, share, and rate the episode if it has blessed you. God bless and always be ready.